I want to take a few minutes of your time today to go over something that we began last week. If you have your Bible, let's open up to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. If you weren't here for last week's message, I covered the reasons, particularly three main headings, why I would not identify myself as a Christian in certain situations among certain individuals. Now, while I stand behind everything that I stated in last week's message, I want to say this. The answer that I gave in last week's message does not fit the proper definition of the word Christian, but it fits a spurious or a false definition of the word Christian. Once again, the answer, no, I am not a Christian, only fits the spurious definition of the word Christian in the minds of people in the day and age that we live in. Now, I hope to, in this message, cover the reason why I do consider myself to be a Christian in the truest sense of the word, and how that a person must be a Christian if they want to make it into the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me begin by saying this. Most people would consider us as an assembly to be part of what's known as the sacred name movement. I try not to associate myself with any organization or denomination falling up under the bylaws of man. But I have no problem with the teaching of the sacred name. I believe that we should use the sacred name exclusively. But the sacred name movement as a whole has put a taboo on certain words used by the modern church world. And the word Christian is one such word that they have shied away from. Now, I'm not saying that the sacred name movement's teaching on <clears throat> certain words being maybe of pagan origin or, or uh, belonging originally to the worship of other gods is always false. But I am saying in this particular instance, they are wrong. They are just not right. They've not studied this out enough, and they have not proven that the word Christian is a, uh, is a word that we should remove from our vocabulary. Now, that's one thing for me to say. But what I want to do in this message is to prove that and then let you be the judge and see whether or not the Bible teaches such. For instance, when we think about a word or a time period, we know that I've taught on both the celebration of Christmas and Easter in this assembly, and I do believe that both of those celebrations are pagan in origin. And the word pagan basically means that it pertains to the worship of false gods. That's what it means. Actually, literally, it means a dweller in the country. It's what it literally means. And when the true Christian religion was first beginning and first getting started, they called these Gentiles or heathens that dwelt in the country pagans because they did not understand what the Bible taught in certain areas and certain doctrines. In back in uh, December of 2004, just to give a little background here of what I'm going to be talking about today. In December of 2004, I involved myself in a discussion that was entitled, What Should We Call Ourselves?, in which the person who began this discussion asked the following question. Listen carefully. They asked, quote, I wanted to know what exactly can we call what we believe or call us in a few words. So when people ask me what religion I'm in, I can tell them. I don't like saying Christian because I feel that it means I would be saying that I'm a part of the other ones who don't really follow what most of the Bible says. End of quote. Now, I sympathize with this person's answer, and that's why I preached last week's message. I don't want to associate myself with other people that profess to believe in the Bible, but whose works deny the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. I definitely don't want to do that. And so I can understand why this person believed or felt this way and was worrying about this 
this, uh, this area. But my reply in part, and we'll get into it in whole here in just a little bit, I replied in part the following, quote, The title Christian works just fine. The Bible says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, Acts 11.26. And we can open our Bibles to Acts 11 if I didn't tell you before. I think I did. The word Christian is taken from the Greek word Christianos, which means a follower of Christ or Messiah. The word called in Acts 11.26 has the meaning of called of Yahweh or by the Holy Spirit. End of quote. Now, after I gave this initial response, which we'll get into a bit later in, in more detail, I received the following quote-unquote rebuttals to that response. Four in particular. Number one said, quote, The word Christian is in your Bible is modernized and an incorrect translation. End of quote. This particular person referred me to the Scriptures translation of the Bible, which I do own a copy of and which I, I definitely read from and study out of at times. I think it's a good translation. Number two, quote, Christian may be suitable if you are Greek, but if you are English, then you should likewise be called an anointling, end of quote. Number three, a person said, quote, I am not comfortable being associated with the word Christian as I know how much pagan baggage goes along with that word. To me, Christians represent the broad road to destruction, and I would rather align myself with a word or group that represents the narrow way which leads to life. Of course, whatever you call yourself will require an explanation to those asking you. And that's significant. Let me say that again. Of course, whatever you call yourself will require an explanation to those asking you. Some examples are Messianic Jew, Nazarene, disciple of Yahshua, member of the way. I guess it is whatever you are comfortable calling yourself. To the average uninformed person out there, Messianic Jew would require the least explaining on your part. But any opportunity we have to share our beliefs is worth taking advantage of. End of quote. The fourth response I got was, quote, personally, it grieves me inside whenever I even hear the word Christian because I know Christianity to be a great part of the end time deception, end of quote. Now, following th those four rebuttals, why would I take the position, people that know me, that I am a Christian? Why would I take that position? Well, I want to explain that. And first, let me say this. You know, I don't know of any organization or denomination that does not have traditions of men. <laughs> I don't know of any. And I think that it's time that the Sacred Name Movement woke up and realized that not only do Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians have traditions of men, but so do they. And I've been questioned and sometimes chastised by people because I question the uh, uh, pioneer elders or pioneer teachers of the Sacred Name Movement on this issue. You know what? That doesn't bother me at all. Because my master teaches me that I'm to test everything by the word of Yahweh. I'm not to believe something just because an organization or denomination believes it. You know what? No matter whether it aligns itself with the church world or not. We can't just say just because the church world does something that that absolutely makes it wrong. No, that's not the test. That's not the test. Neither can we say that because they do something that it makes it right. That's not the test. This is the test right here. And if we don't back up what we believe with this, then we have no foundation. have absolutely no foundation. And so I want to try to expose an error. I believe a tradition of men. And the Bible says in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so I'm going to try to expose an error. I believe that the sacred name movement has here in this message. In Acts chapter 11... 
Verse 26, we'll read this one verse. The Bible says, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. <clears throat> Strong's exhaustive concordance defines the Greek word that is used in this passage. The English word here is Christians. The Greek word that underlies this text is Christianos. The Aramaic word in Aramaic New Testament is Christiana. And so we see a little bit of a translation going here from Aramaic to Greek and then even into English. Strong's defines this word as a Christian that is a follower of Christ. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon defines this word as a Christian, a follower of Christ. Now, Strong's exhaustive concordance also gives the following definitions that are relevant to this Bible study that we're having today. For instance, the word Christianos comes from the word Christos, which is defined by Strong's as anointed, that is, the Messiah, an epithet of Yeshua, and it's translated as Christ. And we need to understand this, whether we use Christ, Messiah, or anointed one in English, it's not Yeshua's last name, but it's an epithet, it's a title that he has. A lot of people say Jesus Christ, and they think that Christ is, is Jesus' last name. You know, for some reason, you know, I don't understand why, but it is, you know, more cor correctly, the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one. The word Christos comes additionally from the Greek word krio, and this means through the idea of contact, to smear or rub with oil. That is, by implication, to consecrate to an office or a religious service. End of quote. And so basically we begin with the word krio in Greek, which means to anoint with oil biblically. And then from that word we go to the word Christos in Greek, which was a title given to the Messiah, given to Yeshua, to signify his office as the son of Yahweh. In other words, Yeshua the anointed. And then we go to the word Christianos, that means a follower of that anointed one. Or we could say a follower of that Christos. Or if we spoke Hebrew, we could say a follower of Mashiach, which Messiah is the transliteration from that. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Or excuse me, verse 37 through 38. Peter says here, You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How Elohim anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because Elohim was with him. Notice the first part of verse 38. How Elohim anointed Yeshua of Nazareth. Anointed. That word there is Christos. He anointed him, or Creo, rather. A study of the Greek word, either Creo or Christos, reveals that the word did not originally apply to some false god or idol. That was not the original use of the word. But was rather simply a word that meant to anoint, smear, or rub, specifically with oil when we are speaking of its use in the scriptures. Now, we can go to extra-biblical sources and secular writings to prove this, but I would rather make use of the Bible. That's the best way to prove something. And how I'm going to prove this, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is by going to the Septuagint. For those of you that don't know what the Septuagint is, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. There were Jews in Alexandria, Egypt, about two to three hundred years before the time of Yeshua, before he came on the scene. And they did not speak Hebrew. And so there needed to be a translation done of the Old Testament into their common language, which was Greek, for those particular Judahites or Jews of that area. 
And so the Septuagint translation was uh, undertaken or, or accomplished. Well, if we look in the New Testament, many quotations of the scriptures in the New Testament are actually aligned more with the Septuagint than the Masoretic text. Now, I believe we can learn from both of them. But it could be that the, the people in the New Testament were quoting from the Hebrew text that the Septuagint was translated from. That might be hard to follow. That's called, in scholarly terms, they call that the Vorlage. And we don't have time to get into that. But there is a text that the Septuagint was translated from, and many scholars believe that it's not the Masoretic text. Okay? Nevertheless, any amount of study will show that the Septuagint is considered and held in high esteem, um, not only by uh, the Judahites of that, era, of that era, but also by scholars, both Jewish and Christian, uh, and even Muslim to some extent alike. Now, let's look at Leviticus chapter 4. Now, I'm going to be reading here out of my home and Bible, but I'm going to explain a little bit about the Septuagint. I didn't bring my Septuagint with me today. But in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 5, and we've got a lot of scriptures to cover, so I'm just going to read them when I get to them. The Bible says, The anointed priest must then take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of meeting. In the Septuagint, that word anointed is the word Christos in the Septuagint. Now, that totally disproves pagan origin for the word. Totally. If the Jews, 250 years before the Messiah came, simply used a word in Greek that meant to anoint, that was a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which also means to anoint or anointed, then it was not originally pagan. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. This is a good one. It says, Those who oppose Yahweh will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his Christos. In the Greek, Septuagint. Anointed in our English Bibles. Once again, the word Christos is used in the Septuagint. Look at Psalms. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against Yahweh and His Anointed One. Psalm 2.2. Against Yahweh and His Anointed One. Now, this is a messianic prophecy. This is talking about the Father and the Son. But when it says against Yahweh and His Anointed One, that Anointed One there is Christos in the Greek Septuagint. Also look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel 16 Verse 4. This is an interesting translation here in the Holman Bible. Ezekiel 16.4 says, As for your birth, your umbilical cord was not cut on the day you were born, and you weren't washed clean with water. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. When it says you were not rubbed with salt, that word rubbed is in the Greek Septuagint, the word Christos. Now, here it's dealing with something other than oil. And we need to understand that the word Christos... In its primary meaning, does just mean to rub or to smear or to touch. But in sanctification, consecration, and when you're when you're dedicating something, oil was used. You know, whether it be fragrant oil, uh, olive oil, things like this. Okay. But what we're showing here is at this point is that this word was used commonly by Greek-speaking Yehudim or Judahites 
of Alexandria, Egypt, when referring to rubbing, smearing, or anointing. And as we've seen, it is used to refer to consecrating someone in a very special and a holy manner. Now, the Greek word Christos is a translation, not a transliteration, but a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach. Mashiach means in Hebrew, anointed, specifically when we're talking about consecration, anointed with oil. Mashiach is used in Leviticus 4.5, 1 Samuel 2.10, and Psalm 2.2 in the Masoretic text. But in the Greek Septuagint, the word Christos is used. In turn comes the word Christianos from Christos, which means a follower of the Christ or the Messiah. And transliterated into English to some extent, we have the word Christian. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. We need to realize this. When the proper and the true definition, when the proper and the true definition of the word Christian is used and is understood, many who profess to be Christians today are not Christians at all. Now, I want to say this again. Many who profess, matter of fact, I, let me say this, most, probably 90 to 95%, of people, if not closer than that, people that confess to be a Christian are not at all. And they've actually robbed this title and, mis- and paganized it and misused it and things like this. First John chapter 2, verse 3. This is very familiar in this assembly, but let's read it again. This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him, by keeping His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him without keeping His commands is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word truly in Him The love of Elohim is perfected. This is how we know we are in Him. The one who says He remains in Him should walk just as He walked. Now, this is speaking of the Messiah. And if we say that we remain in Him, if that's not the profession of our mouth, if we say that we know Him, we must follow His commands. What does the word Christianos or Christian mean? A follower of the Anointed One. And so if we're not following the anointed one, and that means more than just walking everywhere he walked and making sure your feet land in his footsteps. No, it means following him in his teachings, in the example that he set, in his praying, in his fasting, in his reading, in his study of the scripture, following him completely. Only then can you be honored enough to be called a Christian. And that title has been slandered by the church world. They are not followers of the anointed one, for the most part. And so, therefore, they've taken that title wrongfully, and they've applied it to them incorrectly. Now, getting back to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and other uses of the word Christian, when speaking to people and talking to people about this subject in the sacred name movement, we often hear the encounter that is somewhat of an, of an objection to Acts 11:26. It states, states something like this. Yes, they were first called Christians at Antioch, that is called this by those who wanted to bring a reproach upon them. End of quote. And so the argument goes something like, yes, they were called Christians in Antioch, but it was only because it was pagans that were calling them this to bring a reproach upon them. And even one person said that this should be, they were called believers who were despised in this instance. But that's not what the Greek word Christianos means. It doesn't mean despised believers or believers who were despised, as some people have told me. It means a follower of the Anointed One or a follower of Christos or Mashiach. I want to to go over the meaning of the word called. They were first called Christians 
at Antioch. What does this word called mean? Now, we want to dissect verses before we jump on an understanding or an interpretation. The word called in the Greek is krematizo. And this word is defined by Strong's as to utter an oracle, compare the original sense of 5530, that is divinely intimate by implication, compare the secular sense of 5532, to constitute a firm for business, that is, genitive, bear as a title. It's translated as be called, be admonished, or warned of Elohim, reveal, or speak in the New Testament. Now, I find this interesting, and I want you to take some time to do a study on this for yourself. Out of all these scriptures, this word is used ten times in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament. It's used ten times, the word called or krematizo. Every single time that it's used, with the exception of the one that's under consideration in Acts 11, it is speaking of called of Yahweh, warned of Yahweh, or called or warned in a dream by the Holy Spirit. It is talking about a divine call and not a human call. And so I personally believe, and I'll go into some reasons why here in a second, that when it says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, I believe it was by divine sovereignty of Yahweh and not by a human person. Why do I believe that? Well, and like I said, I want you to do a study on that word called. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Here's one reason why I believe that. Peter says, Dear friends, when the fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, as you share in the sufferings of Messiah, rejoice, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christos, Mashiach, or the Anointed One, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of Elohim rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify Elohim with that name. What name? The name Christianos or Christian or follower of the Messiah. That's what it's saying there. Peter evidently did not look upon this title or this name as something that was pagan or wrong. He said that in that day, if you suffered as a Christian, you were not to be ashamed. But glorify Elohim on behalf of that name. Why? Because when you suffered as a Christian or a Christianos or one who was a follower of the anointed one, you were suffering for following the teachings and the doctrine and the example of Yeshua of Nazareth. That's why you would be ridiculed in that time. And that's why we see even in this day and time that most professing quote unquote Christians are not suffering persecution. Because they don't follow the anointed one. They don't. I think that as time progresses, we will see more and more that true followers of the anointed one will suffer persecution. And we better get ourselves ready for that time when it comes. Look at Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 24. The Bible says, this is speaking of the Apostle Paul, an incident that he had happened in his life. As he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. Now, I've had somebody tell me that before. I have. Too much study, Matthew. You've been studying too much. You're going mad. 
They said that to Paul. Verse 25, it says, But Paul replied, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I am speaking the words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters. It is to him I am actually speaking boldly. For I am not convinced that any of these things escapes his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Some translations say, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. How did Paul answer? Well, that's pagan. We don't want to have anything to do with that. Now, verse 29, Paul said, I wish before Elohim, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. So Paul readily accepted the fact that he was a follower of Mashiach, of Christos, of the Anointed One. These uses of the word Christian lend support, along with the Greek word krematizo or called in English, for Acts 11.26 to be understood as a divine calling rather than a human calling. Now, we want to deal with paganizing what is originally pure. Now, a lot of times people try to bring purity to what is originally pagan. And you can't do that. You can't make something bitter that, I mean, excuse me, sweet, that was originally bitter. Yahweh very clearly tells us that we're not to worship Him like the heathens worship their mighty ones. He very clearly tells us that in Deuteronomy 12. But we also need to be on guard for the reverse. We don't want to paganize something that is originally pure. For instance, you know, you can find documented sources where people called their goddesses and their gods Yah, Yahoo. Yahweh, Yahuwah, you can find documented sources where people call pagan gods these names. But, if we go to Genesis 2 verse 4, we see that originally the Tetragrammaton, the yod heh was pure. It, was, it had purity. And so what heathens do to that name doesn't matter. That's the name that Yahweh has for Himself. If they want to take it and pollute it, they're going to be, have to suffer penalty for that. But it doesn't make the originally pure thing Pagan. You understand? Now, it is true that Trinitarians, Antinomians, and Modernist liberals have taken this term Christian and have over time placed it upon themselves. For a person to be called a Christian today does not mean much to those who profess not to be Christian. Now, I believe that we should begin the trek or path to take back what is rightfully ours. And one of the reasons I believe that when somebody asks you what you are, the reason that you need to tell them that you are a Christian is because with that, it opens the door for an explanation. When somebody asks me, what am I? I say, well, I am a Christian, but let me explain. Because I'm not a Christian like you think. And it opens the entire door up for an explanation and for a witness to that, that particular person. And when I get done, a lot of times people are just mind-boggled. They didn't know what that meant. They thought a Christian meant somebody that went to church on Sunday. You know? But it means a true follower of the Messiah. You know, for someone to take the title Christian and misuse it does not make that title impure. Take, for instance, the rainbow. You know, I heard a story sometime back of a sister in an assembly who made this large rainbow poster, large banner, for a conference, a feast conference, to hang over the platform on the ceiling. And when some people came in in this meeting to this conference, they demanded that that rainbow be pulled down 
Because they said that is the sign of homosexuality. You see it on the back of cars. We don't want to have any part of that. And then one of the preachers stood up into the conversation. And he said, no, 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 hold on. He said, let's think about this before we rush to, a, to an understanding or rush to a conclusion. You know, it's not the homosexual sign. It's actually the sign of Yahweh. Yahweh's the one who gave the rainbow. Remember after the flood, Yahweh set the rainbow in the clouds? I have set my rainbow in the clouds. Genesis 9.13. The children learned that a few weeks ago. Yahweh set that rainbow in the clouds, right? What was it a sign of? That he would never again flood the earth with water, right? And so that's originally pure. It doesn't matter what the homosexuals do with Yahweh's pure sign and emblem. It's still pure in the mind of Yahweh and with the true believers of Yahweh. You know, I was also approached with this statement in regards to this portion of the discussion. One person asked me this, Matthew, if you were happy, would you be comfortable if someone described you as being gay? That word may have been perfectly fine to use in the past, but it carries another meaning with it today. I would prefer to be called something else. The same goes with Christian. It may have been fine at one time to be called a Christian, but today it has too much baggage tied to it, and I do not want to be misrepresented by it. That is the main problem, guilt by association. We no longer follow the mainstream beliefs of Christianity, so we should call ourselves something other than Christian so as to separate ourselves from the crowd, end of quote. On the surface, that sounds real good. But the same exact thing could be said for the rainbow that he just said for the word Christian. But let me give my response to this gentleman. My reply was as follows, quote, We both know that a short time ago the word gay stood for someone who was happy. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, if you look it up, it means one who is happy or one who is joyful. Even growing up, I remember watching the Flintstones cartoon, which sang at the end of the theme song, We'll Have a Gay Old Time. Anybody remember that? We'll Have a Gay Old Time. And I know, <laughs> and then I said, and I know that was not long ago at all. Would I mind someone referring to me as gay now in the sense of being happy? It's a question I asked. Then I shared with him this. About three years ago, my wife gave birth to the third of our four children, second boy. The midwife who delivered him was great. She could not have been any better. One thing I noticed about her from the beginning was that her first name was Gay. I'm sure she had some folks of the younger generation wonder why in the world she had that as a name. But yet I noticed while visiting her house with my wife for the checkups that she definitely did not mind being called that at all. She even had a little picture frame in the room with her name and the meaning of her name on it. She did not mind being called gay because she knew it was a perfectly acceptable Anglo-Saxon word, an even likable name word, that had been trashed by late 20th century reprobates, homosexuals. I completely understand her position. That is a word that had good meaning shortly ago, and she obviously felt the good meaning needed to by far outweigh the bad meaning, quote-unquote that the newer, perverted generation sought to place on it. I personally never refer to the homosexuals as being gay. I would not give them that respect. Nor would I refer to them as having an alternate lifestyle, as so many would seek to say. Evidently, the Apostle Paul agreed when he gave reference to their actions in Romans 1, 29-32. On top of all this, I need to point out the main error in your comparison. The word gay is not a word found in Yahweh's inspiration. That is, in dealing with the title Christian, we are dealing with the word in the pages of the Bible, an almighty-breathed document, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. A form of this title appears in both the Aramaic and Greek texts of the New Testament, 
Thus, this is the title that Peter said we should glorify the Almighty in and not be ashamed. 1 Peter 4.16 This is the title Agrippa told Paul. He almost persuaded him to become in Acts 26.28. How did Paul respond to Agrippa? Did he reject the title Christian? Not at all. He rather told Agrippa, and Paul said, I would to the Almighty that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Acts twenty six twenty nine. Paul stated here that he was a Christian. This was the term first century followers of the Messiah were known as because this is the term that they were called by Yahweh in heaven. And I might add, well, I'll talk about that in a second. Beginning in Acts eleven twenty six in Antioch. For someone to take an English word such as gay and pervert its meaning is not good. And I wouldn't have that much of a problem in understanding why a person would not want to be named that today. However, to say that this parallels with a word that Yahweh inspired to be used for followers of his son is a completely different story. We do not have to reinvent the wheel every time some heathen comes along and steals a good name or symbol from a true worshiper. Just like the point I made in regards to the name Yahweh, heathens in times past have referred to their gods by the name Yah or Yahweh. But that does not mean that those true worshippers back then had to think up another name to refer to their Almighty by, did it? The same can be said for the rainbow symbol today. Some say it's a homosexual symbol. I say hogwash. That's a symbol of Yahweh, and it will always be a symbol of Yahweh no matter how hard the homosexuals try to pervert it for themselves. We need to take back what's rightfully ours. End of quote. Now, in conclusion, three major points as we're closing. Number one, I believe the title Christian is a perfectly fine way to describe ourselves in the time in which we live. But I also believe we should be careful when explaining this title to the people that we meet. That's why I preached last week's message. Whenever we're asked the question, we need to make it clear as to what the word means and also make it clear that we are not modern-day Christians who in actuality are not true Christians at all. Point number two. I would also like to say that I have no problem with the title Messianic, which is the word used in the Scripture's translation in Acts 11.26. Messianic simply means a follower of the Messiah or of the Anointed One. There is also nothing wrong with the title Saints, Believers are called saints numerous times in the New Testament. There is also nothing wrong being referred to uh, as Yahweh's people, the children of Yahweh, the sons of Yahweh, the sons of Elohim, Israelites, the Israelites or the Israel of Elohim. Nothing wrong with these. These are all titles that are used to refer to Yahweh's people in the Bible. I have not a problem with any of them. These titles can be found in the pages of Scripture. So we should not be bothered by them at all. Point number three. In conclusion, let us seek to be true followers of Christ. Messiah. True followers of the Anointed One. The One who was anointed by the Father. He went about doing good. Healing all that was oppressed. Why? Because Yahweh had anointed Him. And Yahweh was with Him. Also, let us, brethren, let us learn something by this. Let us seek to study a matter out before just believing something somebody says, no matter what denomination or organization they come from. It doesn't matter. I have to admit, the word Christian or Christ had a bad taste in my mouth for some time 
Not because of a study that I had done, but because of literature that I have read from various places in America and in in other nations as well. But in my studies I found, and you need to study it for yourself as well, I found that it is not. And so Matthew, are you a Christian? No, if you mean what I talked about last week. But yes, if you mean a follower of the Anointed One. Amen. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. I want to invite everybody here next week. We're going to begin studying about something very important, very very interesting, and uh, and uh, very good in the Bible. And so, um, how many love Yahweh? How many really love Him? You know, if we love Him, we'll keep His laws. How many love their neighbor? How many love their neighbor? Well, then do unto your neighbor how you would want them to do unto you. Our Messiah said, for this is the law and the prophets. A lot of people think the law and the prophets didn't teach such. (laughs) He said, for this is the law and the prophets. Dear Heavenly Father Yahweh, we thank you for all these brethren, these sisters, and these children. Father, I ask that you bless us this six-day working week, Father. I pray that you bring us back next week for your Sabbath and for your new moon meeting, Father. Father, from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come before you to worship you in the future. And Father, we need to get it in now, Father Yahweh. And so, Yahweh, we thank you and we praise you for your calendar, for your timepieces. Father Yahweh, bring us back here. Let us love one another. Let us love you. Let us be lights in a dark world. Let us be faithful to you, Father Yahweh. Let us be faithful to the brethren. We love you, Father Yahweh. We appreciate you. And Father Yahweh, we know that it's all made possible by your only begotten Son. He is Yahweh our righteousness. Yahweh, Zidkenu, hallelujah, the branch, hallelujah, that shall bloom and shall flourish. Father, we know that one day He will reign over the entire earth and He will rule, Father Yahweh, with a rod that is governed by Your laws and Your commandments. And Father Yahweh, help us. We long to be there in that kingdom, the kingdom of Yahweh. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for the brethren. Through Your Son we pray this prayer. Hallelujah. So let it be. Love everybody. Let's remember the men's meeting Sunday at 7. Prayer meeting Monday at 7. Shalom.